listening to the best of the Martha Zoller Show. To hear the full show each day, tune in to AM550 and FM102.9 WDUN or log in to accesswdun.com and click the Listen Live button from 9 to 11, Monday through Friday. It is the Martha Zoller Show, and joining me right now is Larry Barons. He's the comms director for Power the Future and the author of the book, Sabotage. Uh, and, you know, next to the relationship of parents and children and what that role is, I think that the unsung issue of this next election is going to be energy policy because it affects everything that we do. And, Larry, I appreciate you being with us on the program today. Well, good morning, Martha. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about sabotage. Yeah, what it is, is, you know, I started looking at everything that Joe Biden did to undermine American energy uh, since he took office. And I remember, you know what, when they pitched this guy uh, during the Democratic primaries in 2020, they tried to say, you know what, he's, he's moderate. He's not Bernie Sanders. He's not crazy like Pete Buttigieg. And so he's moderate, and, and that's what we want. And lo and behold, when you look into his past, you find out he's one of the most green radical uh, guys around. I mean, he's been in the Senate, I think, since Lincoln was in office. And he's been doing crazy things ever since he took office, and it has not stopped since he took over in the Oval Office. And I found that there was just, you know, essentially one hit after another against American energy. It was like just this avalanche of incompetence that it was hard to keep up with because you would just be focusing on one thing he did and then he'd do something else. And so this book tries to catalog all the things just in his first two years that he did to undermine American energy. And as you correctly point out, it hit us in the pocketbook uh, across the board, not just at the pump, but pretty much everywhere we go. Well, I mean, the first thing he did was uh, reverse the Keystone Pipeline, which not only uh, hurt us as far as energy independence, but it did away with 20,000 high-paying union jobs. I mean, if if that didn't give you an indication of what his priorities were, were I don't know what did. Absolutely. And, and there was much more than that, too, right? Day one, he put a moratorium on production on federal lands just to review it. And when you do things like that. I mean, his administration would say, well, it was one pipeline or, or the moratorium wasn't forever. But you're absolutely right. It sends a signal that this industry is unwelcome in the United States. I mean, if there's any type of infrastructure we need right now in the United States, it's energy infrastructure. Keystone XL, absolutely we need it. But we need a bunch of other pipelines. We need more refineries. And we need more of those things that bring to us energy independence, which we had. And if, you know, the president could look at ahead and and do a u-turn on these terrible policies we would have that but instead he intentionally sabotaged our energy independence and that's you know we've all seen the results you know uh georgia power and southern company has probably done more than most companies to try to find that balance of an all-in kind of energy policy and we had uh, and they're pretty sustainable. I think they've closed too many coal plants, but, you know, that's another discussion for another day. But we had a week in the end of um, December that was very cold for several days. And because of their ability to have multiple kinds of energy sources, there was they were able to keep the heat on for everyone 
throughout that period of time. And they used every mm-hmm. single bit of energy sources that they had, including the ones that weren't very efficient, to do that. You've got to have that kind of grid. You've got to have that kind of ability because you do have those weeks that are very cold or the weeks that are very hot. And if you don't have that ability to maximize your energy grid, then people are going to suffer. And it's not going to be because we were using fossil fuels. It's going to be because rules were put in place that didn't allow energy companies to do what they do best, which is provide energy. You're you're absolutely right. You know, survey after survey, poll after poll, where you ask Americans about what they want from energy, affordability is actually number two. Number one is reliability. Just as you were pointing out, they want the energy to be there. When they flip the switch, when they turn up the air conditioner or turn up the furnace, they need to know that that energy is going to be there for them. It's more important than even affordability. But what we have is an administration in Washington that is going after all kinds of utilities. They are heavily, heavily incentivizing them to give up reliable and affordable forms of energy in favor of expensive and intermittent forms of energy that aren't going to work when we need it the most. And we've seen it in Europe, we've seen it in California, and we've seen it in many places. As they get rid of these reliable forms of energy that have built us for generations, we find that we do not have enough power to meet our needs. And not only that, we are losing American jobs, and our infrastructure around this power is crumbling. And your point is exactly the right one. You know what? If a local utility says this is what's best for our customers because our customers have told us this mix of power is the best, solar, wind, what have you, and that's absolutely how it should be. What it shouldn't be is from state houses and from Washington, D.C., politicians who have no skin in that game who don't get their power from the same source telling that same utility how they have to derive their power. So how do you see that playing out in the 2024 election? And obviously, you're writing a lot about the things that that President Biden is doing, but he's got uh, an opponent uh, that a lot of people aren't taking seriously, Robert Kennedy Jr., who is is polling at about 20 percent and uh president biden is not going to be on the ballot in iowa or new hampshire so you could have a robert kennedy that wins a primary or two do we know much about what his views are on energy yeah we do sadly he you know and and i know he is uh in the right space for a lot of uh, the right reasons on on many issues but when it comes to energy he is very much into the green movement he is very much into buying that we have to uh curtail these things that we have to spend more money in order to change the weather now will he be as radical as joe biden i couldn't tell you that but he you know he is in the the mindset of that we are responsible for these things that are going on instead of trying to look at ways of innovation and building up our infrastructure. And so that's, you know, something that, you know, the members of that party will have to consider because you're right. They not only has it hit them at the pump, Americans have learned, you know what, diesel brings everything to the store that I shop at. Diesel builds everything. Diesel probably delivered everything that was in my home. And so the price of diesel affects 
you know, me, even if I don't have a diesel truck myself. And so when they see that, you know, undermining energy or energy foundation leads to massive inflation, they are, I hope, going to look at candidates that say we need someone who's going to put common sense ahead of an ideology that isn't working for us. So on the Republican side, of course, you've got former President Trump who did make us energy independent while he was president. Uh, and got us back to where we were an exporter instead of an importer of energy. Uh, what do the other candidates uh, look like? Are there anybody that, that's on your radar as far as energy policy goes? Yeah, you know, such a great question. Uh, you know, obviously, President Trump has that great track record. And, and we should note that a big way that he fulfilled that was he told government to get out of the way. He just let energy workers do their job without energy interference. And look what it delivered, right? It delivered a gas that was just around $2 a gallon. It, it delivered so many great things. So President Trump has that great track record. When you look at the other candidates, they will all tell you, um, at least from what I've been watching, that it, you know energy is an absolute centerpiece. And, and his name escapes you right now, the gentleman who is the governor of North Dakota. I think it's uh, a Bugram, if I'm saying it yes, correctly, Mr. Yes. Doug Bugram. Um, you know, it's he pretty bad, though, when you can't make... remember his name. I have the same problem, <laughs> so I'm with you on that. Well, and, 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 and no disrespect to his campaign. I'm still – it's all on me. I'm completely slow. But he has made energy the center of his campaign. But, you know, a fun fact is the organization I work for, Power of the Future, has sent a questionnaire to each one of these candidates to try to find out what are you going to do to reverse these orders that Biden has done? What are you going to do to get us energy independent, build up our infrastructure again? And yes, we need to ask them, do you feel that the ideology of the green movement is correct? And are you going to defer to that first? Or are you going to defer to providing reliable and affordable energy for Americans? And so we haven't heard back yet from them, but we are going to be asking them and making those results public. It just seems so basic to me that you've got to have infrastructure. You've got to have energy infrastructure. You've got to be able to move from one place to another. It just seems basic to me. And, you know, this idea that we can reinvent the wheel and force things to happen. I personally believe some sort of renewables will be something we'll use more. And it might be that hydrogen is going to be, once we can work the kinks out, is going to be better than even electric as far as automobiles go. But I think we have to allow that to happen versus trying to push it. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, Martha. And, and not only that, I mean, let's just look at the track record. Uh, Joe Biden was the architect of Solyndra, right? He had $90 billion to play with from the first stimulus back in 2009 when he was vice president. And he sent half a billion of that to Solyndra. We lost all of it. And that was all going to usher in this big green movement. Well, and, and of course, we know it didn't happen. And so now we see that he's trying to do it again through the, you know, laughably named Inflation Reduction Act. He's going to spend $369 billion. Just for reference, the one-year budget for the entire United States Navy is $220 billion. So well, he has and more money. Go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. No, you go ahead. Well, he just has more money than the entire United States Navy to try to force in this movement. And, and it just gets down to the point where, that you're exactly right on. You know, no one had to force me to buy a cell phone. Everyone started using them. I said, that's something good for my life. The government didn't have to subsidize it. The government didn't have to create it or mandate it. I just decided it was good, and I'm going to start using it. And yet they can't seem to let that happen with energy. They can't seem to leave well enough alone. Well, I mean, it is 
an important part of everything, and we've got to have this analysis, and people need to really vote with their pocketbooks. And if they do that, we'll get the right outcome. The book is Sabotage, How Joe Biden Surrendered American Energy Independence. Larry Barron's uh, wrote the book, and he's also the communications uh, director for Power the Future. Thank you so much for being with us today. Martha, so great to talk with you. Have a great day. Stay cool. It's where North Georgia comes to talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. Joining me right now is Trisha Pridemore. She is the a public service commissioner, uh, one of five on the commission. And uh, we wanted to talk with her on this theme of energy that we've been talking about uh, all morning. Trisha, welcome to the program. Hi, Martha. It's great to be with you. Yeah, I mean, it's like one of the biggest crises in the South if your air conditioning goes out in the summer, right? <laughs> it's so true. And, and you know, at the commission, we have approved so many different programs to ensure grid reliability through these hot summers, as well as different low-income programs to help those that are having to deal with this uh, Biden inflation. So tell us, first of all, for people that don't know, what does the Public Service Commission do? Very simply, we're the regulatory body that oversees Georgia utilities, namely electricity, natural gas, telephones. Uh, we do some work with, uh, with broadband and high-speed Internet and also railroads. Railroad, that's an interesting one, right? That's, that must be yeah. original. <laughs> It is. It's the it's the very first uh, uh, practice area that the commission had was assigned to in terms of regulations, and we still get some railroad cases every once in a while. And the terms are six years, correct? Yes. And tell us just a little bit about what the election process is like, because that's been in the news a little bit recently. So, for over the the last thirty five plus years, this commission has been elected statewide. All five commissioners run statewide, and we run in staggered terms that provide stability into our utility systems across the state. And so I ran in 2018. Uh, I won the Republican primary, uh, won uh, the general election, and, uh, and back on the ballot again in 2024. But back in 2020, um, a group of people affiliated with the NAACP, Black Lives Matter, uh, they had sued the state of Georgia over how the commissioners are elected, uh, stating that there is a, a racial injustice in the election process. And so we have been going through the court system with this case. Uh, it is currently at the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, and uh, we, we wait to uh, see what the outcome of the case is going to be. And it, are they are they angling for getting into not running statewide? Is that what they're opposed to? Yes, they they want uh, majority minority districts, and they're uh, they're seeking two majority minority districts. Uh, there's already one majority minority district. Uh, if you look at the fact that how we're we're currently aligned. Um, but they're seeking two of those. They're seeking two of those. Okay. And we don't know when that's going to come down because it's it's in the process, correct? We don't know. We patiently wait uh, to, to see what, uh, what comes uh, from the 11th Circuit and, and where the case goes from there. So Plant Vogel came online a month or so ago, finally. Uh, I did. I've been listening to a lot of 
of commentary about energy. And actually, even with the cost overruns, um, it's been a pretty positive thing where people have identified outside of Georgia and inside of Georgia that because of Plant Vogel, we're going to have energy price stability for roughly about 80 years. Um, I know it was a long process. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, Plant Vogel is really very exciting for the state of Georgia. Uh, it's the first first new nuclear project in the country in the last 30 years, and it will provide 24-7, 365 electricity for uh, for all of Georgia. Um, and, and when we talk about Plant Vogel, the thing that we always keep in mind is the, the fact that I like to say that nuclear is, uh, it's, 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 political Teflon. Republicans support it. Democrats support it. And uh, unfortunately, we're seeing this particular administration in Washington uh, be very political with their energy choices. And that's made for higher prices. It's made for spikes in natural gas prices because of their limitations they've put on on harvesting natural gas. Um, And so you think about having a mix of electricity sources and nuclear is such a great part of that. It does provide stability into our system. And the other great thing that we're going to see, I think, manifest out of this project is that we're not going to let our nation's nuclear brain trust atrophy like it had at the onset of the Vogel construction. Uh, we already have engineers that have finished their work on Vogel that are moving out to Wyoming and Utah where there's new nuclear projects that are being born there. So it's an exciting time for nuclear across our country. Uh, it's a great, clean way to produce electricity. And although the construction process is very long and expensive, uh, the payoffs uh, last so much longer than anything else that I can put into my mix. Yeah, and what you see, too, is that it's renewable, it's clean, and now that they've come up with the process where you can reuse the spent rods basically to the point to where there's almost nothing left, you've gotten rid of what the biggest obstacle was, was what do you do with the waste. So there's so much less waste, as I understand it. I've tried to stay up on this, but it's it's a lot to, to follow. So that's been positive. Um, I, I'm excited about it. I think it's great that we're leading the, we're leading the nation and in some ways the world on this. I think so too, Martha. It's one of the reasons that I decided to, uh, to join the Public Service Commission and seek this office. I, I come from a software technology background and I see the ways that modern technology has improved the way that we produce, transmit, and generate electricity across our country. It's really remarkable. Now, I know that electric vehicles aren't in your purview per se um but i have you heard anything about what we're going to do as far as how we recycle the old batteries and that kind of thing when when batteries have to be replaced in electric cars is that anything that's come before you all it hasn't come before us in a case yet but i've met with several of the companies that have uh, announced their arrival into Georgia on the heels of the Rivian and the Hyundai deals um, because there is a battery recycling and a, a battery repurposing uh, plant that's going in around Bullock County, and then there's another one that is attached to Rivian uh, up in Walton County. So there is good activity in that space. Um, that is such a critical aspect to long-term electric vehicle adoption because 
what has to happen to be able to harvest all of the precious minerals to create the batteries and to create the uh, the, the basis for an EV uh, really needs to be utilized much in the same way like you discussed uh, the nuclear fuel rods and how uh, technology has determined how you can basically get everything that's out of those uh, those, those precious minerals to be able to exploit them, uh, you know, all the way down to, to where there's very little to anything left. Yeah, it is so interesting. And I did talk to Russell McMurray from uh, GDOT because, you know, electric cars and trucks are much heavier than traditional cars and trucks. But because of the way our roads are designed to handle 80,000 pound loads on um, semis, the cars aren't going to be a problem even if every single person in Georgia ends up with an electric car, because that was something, one thing I was thinking about, if roads are designed for X weight, um, when you have an automobile that's about twice the weight of a traditional automobile because of the battery, you know, you don't want that to cause more impact on the roads. But Commissioner McMurray has assured me that because of the trucks and the limits on trucks that the automobiles won't be an issue. But, you know, it's a, it just goes to show you there's so much to think about. You, you get a new idea, and it's a great new idea, and you want to take it forward, but there's implications across, across spectrums, and you need to make sure you're thought about all of that stuff. I couldn't agree with you more, Martha. Where this commission has been so involved with electric vehicles has been not only in uh, staff support and commissioner support to the governor and the Department of Economic Development as they've worked to court these companies and bring them to Georgia. But we have approved repeatedly uh, through the Georgia Power Integrated Resource Plan uh, to allow them to have community charging and what we call desert charging. What we don't ever want to see in a state like ours, which is so large, you know, we're the largest landmass state east of the Mississippi. We don't ever want to see somebody get out on a Georgia road and not have access to a charging facility. And uh, we've worked with Russell and the folks at GDOT uh, for this, the state roads and, and, and their uh, availability to the federal highway system, um, but really working with the utilities to ensure that we don't have a spot in Georgia where somebody could break down and not be able to get access to a charge. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, Lynn and I have talked about that the next car we buy, we want to be a hybrid. Um, we drive old cars and we drive them till they're in the ground. That's just what we do. But the next car we want, I, we were thinking a hybrid would be the best choice for us because that way, if we're taking a long trip, if we're doing whatever, then we don't have to worry about that because it goes back and forth. And I don't know if you remember when we first met, my my son had, uh, it was the last time uh, that, that gasoline was really high and my son had converted a diesel VW Rabbit to vegetable oil. And he <laughs> was able to get 1,900 miles between the diesel tank and the vegetable oil tank on this VW. <laughs> and it was just because he was too cheap to pay $4 a gallon for gas. This was back in t- 2008 when it was when it was uh, shifting up high. And um, it's funny, that car, he's he sold it now and all that kind of stuff. But it was a really interesting design is that you started out with the diesel. 
You dr- then you flipped a switch and switched over to vegetable oil. And then about three miles before your destination, you flipped it back to diesel. So the diesel would clean out the engine and you wouldn't have a bunch of vegetable oil in the engine. So you know what? I got I got men in my house that build things, make things, fix things. So I learned things from that. <laughs> That's awesome. That's fantastic. Uh, we have people that come down to the commission that have brought their biodiesel vehicles before. And the one thing that always strikes me about them, Martha, is that I would love to walk around all day and smell like a French fry. I know. It's true. It's very <laughs> true. It's very true. And my second son actually uh, proposed to his his uh, wife um, in the back of this car, meaning that he pretended like they broke down. And then he went around to the back, and when she came around, he was on one knee and and proposing. So um, there can be good, happy endings, too. That's for sure. Adorable. I know. Trisha Pridemore, how can people get in touch with you if they want to know more? Oh, please. Come to the commission. Come down. Talk to us. We we are in uh, 52 weeks a year. We meet pretty much every week. Uh, but uh, you could always reach out to me via email. I'm tpridemore at psc.ga.gov. Trisha Pridemore, thanks for being with me today. Thank you, Martha. Have a wonderful Tuesday. Talk or text Martha at 770-535-2911. And be part of the Martha's Honor Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. And joining me right now is State Representative Misha Maynard, and um, we've had her on the program before and wanted to just talk with her today after the big announcement that she's joining the Republican Party. Uh, Misha, how are you doing? I am doing great, Martha. How are you today? Good. It must have been a whirlwind the last 48 hours. It was a whirlwind, but I would not change my decision or anything I have done, um, so I'm happy with it. So, um, I know that it seemed that the education issue, the school choice issue, kind of was the tipping point for you, and it's disappointing to me that there are a lot of Democrats that do support school choice. It looks like an issue, whether you look at Florida and what they've done there, Texas, what they've done there, Tennessee, what they've done there. It's with a coalition of Democrats and Republicans. Do you think that can happen? I'll tell you this. I got some phone calls yesterday from some Democrats, and they said, look, we understand why you did this. We support you know, parent choice as well. You're just the only one that has the courage to do it. And I think until we actually start listening to our constituents, um, the Democrats are not going to change. But maybe I can help them change their minds and be a little bit more courageous for the voters. What do you think? And I know you've been in touch with your voters and you're one of those people that are out there, regardless of what party you are. You have been out talking to your uh, constituents. What's your plan going forward now to get the message out to your constituents? Because you're going to have an election in 2024. So I need people to go to .com, um and support the website and support me. Because the more support I have, the more things I can do in the community. Constituents reached out to me yesterday, many, um, and all said, look, I still support you. And one of my favorite emails that I got was was from someone in West End. And she said, you are two blocks from my house 
at this point, I want to pack up my bags and move two blocks into your district. <laughs> so, you know, the the community is supporting me. So have there been any surprises that you've had since yesterday? No. You know, my colleague, former colleagues that um, were against me before are still against me. So that really is no change. The interesting thing, though, um, I'm trying not to really look at a lot of stuff, but sometimes I can't help it. It just is there. So on WSB, um, and I don't know if I was supposed to say that or not, but they did a interview with someone from North Cobb Democrats, and he said she doesn't come to any of our meetings. Well, one, I'm not a North Fulton Democrat, and no state representatives are in those meetings all the time. So just some of the things that they're saying don't even make sense. So that's kind of catching me off guard that I think I would think they would have something better to come up with besides something that doesn't make any sense. Well, there was one of your former colleagues that, you know, did a tweet with a blank check, basically saying they just want to put somebody up against you. Um, Have they been successful yet recruiting somebody to run against you? I don't know. Um, That was, you know, a few months ago. If they have, maybe, I don't know. But but no one's announced. No one's announced. No one has announced. And if you want anybody to run, regardless of their credentials, that's just another sign that you could care less about my constituents. Well, I think it's very exciting. Um, You know, I wish you the best. You know, I'm in your corner. I, I love the idea that you were able to stand up for the issues that you believed in and that the bottom line is, you know, I don't care who you are. I don't care what party you are. I don't care where you come from. Parents want good education for their children. And that should be yeah. something that we're united on, not something we have party differences on. I agree. It makes no sense. Um, I don't understand it, but I am hopeful for the sake of all the children, especially the ones in my district where only 3% of them our reading and our proficient in math, it's my hope and prayer that the Democrats say no to the teachers' unions and yes to the parents and the children. Yeah, it's so interesting to me that in a state like Georgia, where we are a right-to-work state, and, you know, it's it's you're not required to be a part of a teachers' union, you're not required to be a part of any union, but they they have such power in especially the Democratic Party where it's it just doesn't make any sense at all. And I think that what we need to do is be beholden to the parents and the students. And we talked about this before. I think there will be a big um, uh, there will be a big uh, issue in this next election that has to do with parents and children. And I don't think it's going to be partisan. I think it's going to depend upon where the actual candidate is on the issue. I agree. I agree. Um you know, you've seen that there are some governors in other states that have Democrat governors that have come on board to support school choice. Um, it's kind of hard to tell a family member if the school system is failing, not the teachers are failing them, but the school system is failing them. It's kind of hard to say, just deal with it. Right. You and think it. that they're going to be OK with it. So have you talked to Governor Kemp? I have spoken to Governor Kemp. I've spoken to Speaker Burns, 
um, Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones, um, many other colleagues. I've had a flood of calls from Republicans and Democrats. So I'm all good. <laughs> you know, the people that are not happy, um, they're not happy because of their own decisions, not because of me. The, absolutely. I think you've got a great a great way of looking at Misha Maynard, thank you so much for being with me today. I appreciate it very much and good luck to you. We'll see you soon. All right. Have a great day. Putting the talk in news talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. Uh, Seth Weathers, I was I get up really early in the morning to get ready for the show and I saw like a tease for this commercial on Fox and Friends first. Uh, and then I looked at it and I said, that's Seth Weathers. I know him. I'm going to reach out to him. So Seth, how are you? I'm good. How about yourself? So I love the Smokey and the Bandit, you know, connection. And I love the fact you used a Trans Am. I think that's great. I'm a big fan <laughs> of the car. No doubt. No doubt. The car the, is amazing. The car is cool. Yeah. Yes. I so would love tell to sit us, in it. Tell us about this journey. Um, it's been a wild ride. It'd be hard to summarize, but, uh, you know, we, we launched with an ad in April, April the 12th with the the fact that we were going to be creating this beer. We hadn't even created the beer. We were in the process. We'd had conversations and had, were going down that road after the, after Bud Light kind of took a dump on conservatives and we put out an ad on Twitter and it ended up having on, on my Twitter alone, it had like 46 million views. Oh, and, wow. you know, went all over the place online, a bunch of other places. So overall, it had probably around 75 million to 100 million views. So this thing took off in a big way. And, you know, we had orders flying in. And, you know, then we, then our brewery canceled us because we had the mean word conservative on a beer can. So <laughs> we had a – it's been a long, wild ride to get where we're at now. But we've got – now we're currently brewing in two locations. We're brewing in Georgia and we're brewing in Florida. And so we've got a lot of beer coming out. We've been shipping beer all over the country and have a lot of exciting news with that coming. And we were excited to get out here with a, a new ad, kind of give everybody an update and show them where we're at. So why would a comp brewery care what's on your label? Well, they probably, they got about three calls, I'm guessing, after Newsweek wrote a story about the Big Bad Mean Conservative Beer Company. And unfortunately, they were, I would call them classic establishment conservatives. There was a brewery in Illinois at the time. I wouldn't call them conservatives. I could say they, they claim to be conservatives. Uh, they, they were in Illinois, and so I guess, you know, they're surrounded by a lot of liberals. And it was it was funny when we were talking with them about making the beer and we're working it all out. They said, you know, they're with us. We're conservative. All this stuff going on in the schools, the trans ideology is dangerous, yada, yada. Few phone calls from some angry liberals, and they are uh, denying us on social media, saying that they saw our, you know, abhorrent ad and are distancing themselves from it and refuse to make our beer. And that's the problem with a lot of conservatives, or quote unquote conservatives, because we have a very long history of backing down and taking it. And one of the things we're trying to accomplish is with this beer as the catalyst is putting an end to that. And that's when we're putting our money where our mouth is, and we're donating. A portion of all of our proceeds are going to the 1776 Project PAC, which is actually overturning school boards. They've actually done work here in Georgia as well. They're getting rid of the uh, the blue-haired woke school board members and, and in some, a lot of cases, replacing them with MAGA moms. So it's Good. something that I can definitely get behind. Yeah, I mean, and I think this is something we're seeing. Okay, so whether, you know, and I don't know who you're supporting for president, but Vivek Ramaswamy basically made all of his money 
by by supporting companies that had the same values that he did. And he he pushed in that direction. You're also seeing, cool. you know, what you're doing. You're seeing Nick Ayers, who I'm sure you know, just launched a diaper company that's going to give uh, proceeds to pro-life causes. And I did not so, know that. That's very cool. Yeah. What's the name of his company? Yeah, and I, you know, I don't, I don't even know. Uh, I saw it today right after your out. segment. <laughs> right after your segment, it was on there. So, um uh, I think it's uh, I'll, I'll look it up in just a minute, but it's very cool because I think that you should have those kinds of values. And we saw in the uh, All-Star game on uh, Tuesday that they did the whole thing was about standing up for cancer. Finally, companies are realizing that if they're going to take a stand, they need to stand with their values and tell us what they are or stand for something that who could you be? Who could be against it? Like cancer. Exactly. Right. Who could be against fighting cancer? Everybody would be for that. So I think that people are tired of people trying to push you in a certain way with their products. Absolutely. They are. But look, here's the thing. All these other companies, whether they out, whether they're out there promoting it or not, go look at what they donate to and have been donating to for 20 years. They've all they have the corporations are what's funded all these crazy company or these crazy uh, organizations that are pushing trans ideology and everything else. Those are all funded by big corporations. So you know I, I can also I can say yeah we're tired of hearing people talk politics, but I will tell you this: our company, Conservative Dad's Ultra Right Beer, we, you know, it's kind of <laughs> in the name. We're going to talk politics. We're going to put our money for, where our mouth is. We're going to do the opposite of what all these other companies have done. And we're going to fund pushing our values uh, to our people. And so it's called every it's called every life dot com, Seth, every life dot com. Go ahead. Seth, I wanted to say real quick that, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people just like me that are big fans of the show. uh, Smokey and the Bandit and thought about the car. How awesome that is. How did you come up with the idea for the car? You know, I've been I, I. I've been watching that movie for I don't I don't want to say the number of years for many years <laughs> I've been watching that movie and you know even my kids you know know that movie uh, and I've got young kids which you know most six and ten year olds don't know Smoking the Bandits most six and ten year olds also don't know what Bonanza and John Wayne is so right I, right you know, a unique Absolutely. situation over here <laughs> <laughs> but, and so you know the whole concept so we've had to fight a lot uh, to get our beer in places and regulations and things since we launched this. Uh, we have a great law firm. I think Martha probably knows most of them that's now handling all of that for us. But um, it's been a long, wild ride. So the whole concept of smoking the bandit is, you know, they're trying to get beer across the border. Um, and so they're they're, they're up against – they have their own battle. Right. And, I, you know, I honestly can't remember where I came up with it. But at one point I was like, oh, we got to do a smoking the bandit thing. And then <laughs> fast forward – uh, five weeks later, I now own a smoking van at Trans Am. I don't know what to do with it. But it makes great commercials, and it's fun to drive. <laughs> it is. And I tell you what, I hate to say this, Seth, and it's just because I'm old enough to be your mother that I could, I can say this, but you're going to become like a pinup with the way you did that commercial. Because you take your shirt off, and then you put on the red shirt and the okay. boots. You're going to be like Mr. Pinup for all these young body. conservative women. Yes. All right, Seth. <laughs> way to go, buddy. Well, I, I promise this is not the direction we're intending that, but, you know, I'll, if it's going to sell beer and, and fund anti-woke activities, I'm all down. Absolutely. Well, stay and in I the know gym, Esther, guys. Esther stay in the gym. Esther will keep a close eye on you, I know. So, anyway. <laughs> I can't wait to well, meet you. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. 
We'll have to get you guys some beer out there. That sounds great. Hey, thank you so much for being with us today, Seth. Tell folks where they can get it. They can go to ultrarightbeer.com. Absolutely. Thanks, Seth, for being with us today. Hey, thanks for having me. It's local radio, and that's why you're listening. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. Jody Lott is a state representative uh, from Augusta. She is a nurse by training and has been in the state legislature for a number of years. And she kind of shocked everybody by term limiting herself and announcing that last week. But I'm not shocked at all because you are the kind of person that gets a lot of things done and has a lot of things to do. Jody, welcome back to the program. Yeah, thank you for having me. I always love it when you call. <laughs> thank you very much. Listen, tell folks a little bit about you and why you made this decision to not seek reelection. So it was really strange. I always do things a little bit differently, and I don't always tend to do it that way. But um, I had pretty much term limited myself um, from the very beginning. So I, I will, um, I'm done with eight years as of this point, I came in a special election. So next year when I really finish will be, have been a total of nine years. Um, and it will get me home just in time to see my baby, my youngest son, um, watch his senior year. Um, I've missed a lot of basketball seasons and a lot of baseball seasons. So while I was in Atlanta, January, February, March, you know, we're full-time in Atlanta. Um, and that's, uh, that's basketball and baseball season. And it's just, that's always been rough. But, um, so anyway, kind of always knew I was going to do it. Thought nine years versus 11, 11, he'd be off to college. So I thought I'm going to do this now. Um, and I, uh, I had been talking about it for years, just kind of blabbing. Well, last year I was invited to um, kind of sit in for just a little while on one of our local radio shows in the Augusta area. And truly, just in the last couple of seconds, uh, our, one of our county commissioners was hosting the show. And she said, well, is there anything you'd like to say at the end? And I said, well, you know, I'm not running again. Qualifying's in March. If you're interested, call me because I'd love to talk to you about it and tell you what's great, what's difficult, you know, the good, the, you know, the, good, the bad, the ugly, the highs, the lows. Um, I was just excited to kind of say, come on, you know, since I'm on the radio, I'll just let people know. And as soon as I stepped off um, out of the room when I was kind of leaving my little segment, the newscaster that I know well said, I don't think this has been on the news. <laughs> I said, hmm. <laughs> never dawned on me to actually call all of you. <laughs> so, um, so it really I, just got blasted. <laughs> and I think you're the, you're doing the right thing. First of all, I know you well enough to know that while you did miss some basketball games and some baseball games, you were there for your kids and you were making it work because you're that kind of woman. Okay, Uh, I know you well enough to know that. But I understand and respect so much because if we're going to encourage more women to get involved, if we're going to encourage more good dads to get involved, we've got to we've got to show good examples of people that know how to come in. You worked hard. You were in leadership. You've been hold, held lots of different positions, and now you say it's time for you to move on. Are you going to go back in the healthcare field? No, I'm so I love what I'm doing right now. I love policy, um, so I think I will always have um, myself into into, into policy um, in some in some way. I have primarily pushed issues. Um, first responder issues, healthcare issues, and honestly, election reform has gotten to be just three of my major loves. I, 
I think Georgia has done a phenomenal job in all of those areas, um, taking care of our first responders. We've done some amazing work. I would love to see some of this stuff that we've done really well here go national, you know, like take it to other states that don't have these kind of things going on. Um, so I want to stay in policy. I, not that I don't, I don't, I don't love healthcare, but my husband and I own physical therapy practices, and he still does that part of it for the most part. I'm, I'm sort of backed away, but, um, but I love policy. I loved doing this job, um, and and we can do it. I'm not. I know you know this because you and I have had the opportunity to talk a little bit about this. But we have a speaker of the house right now. Speaker of the house, John Burns. This was the best session I have had. Um, so I had seven prior sessions where we weren't given a schedule. Um, we didn't start on time. I mean, there was so much going on the last seven years that just aggravated a business owner and a mom. <laughs> that was just unbelievable. It was just disorganized. It was chaotic. There was no respect for our time. Um, and now we have a Speaker of the House. Speaker John Burns has come in there, and I have, I mean, this has been the most amazing and eye-opening experience. So whoever comes in behind me, I will tell them um, there is, this is a good time to come in. Um, the leadership was so good and it was such a team effort. Um, there was a lot of, a lot of, uh, intelligent folks sitting at the table and giving some really good input. So you could kind of feel it and you could, um, and we started on time. I mean, every day. And that, I hate to say that that's one of the biggest things, but it, it was amazing. I mean, it's amazing how well things were run this past year. And I, I have just great hopes, um, for what George is going to be able to do for these next, you know, these next four years with Governor Kemp in, in office again, of course, next three more years. Um, we just got a lot of uh, great potential to keep moving good conservative legislation forward, and I'm excited about that. Jody, hi, how you doing? This is Rod Huey. Nice to hear you. Um, hey, Rod. Listening to you, hi. Listening to you, you, it seems like you really, really still want to be in it and you really want to be there. But if you could somehow do it and like you say, be there for your for your child and uh, for your, you know, to do what. And I think that is so awesome. So what does that look like for you moving forward with? I mean, you're still connected. There's things that it seems like you still would like to do. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's great. So here's the thing. I feel like I have, you know, I've been that person sitting in the chair and getting to push the button red or green. But the vast majority of the work that I did, um, you know, I a lot of the legislation, some of my biggest and best legislation that I went into legislative council with, um, not my ideas. So let's let's be clear. Everything I've ever done that's great is because somebody in my community has brought it to me. Um, the things I'm going to be the most proud of, I was the smallest portion of how that got done. Um, we've got just folks in the state of Georgia with incredible ideas, and they are on, you know, on point. They bring it to a legislator. They give it to someone like me. I get to do the part where I get to bring it to legislative council. And some of those biggest bills that I work um, and got written, I then walked up to someone else and handed it to them and said, look, I need you to put your name on the top of this. You be the carrier of this bill because for one reason or another, they were the person that should carry this legislation. They had, um, 
they they had the background, uh, the the right position in leadership, the right whatever it was, and I got to move all of this from the back. Um, I got to continue to advocate. I got to go to the committee hearings and sit side by side with the author to make sure basically I could bring the story that kind of originated it. Um, so a lot of what I've always done has been in the back anyway. Um, I want to do that. I just want to, I mean, I, I, I really, I go well, into a room. You, you don't care who gets the credit, Jody. That's why, <laughs> you know, that's why you're so successful. If you, I don't know if you ever had the chance to meet Paul Coverdale. Uh, he, he was uh, one of, when there was only six Republican members in the Georgia State House, he was there along with Johnny Isaacson way back when. Mm-hmm, and yeah. and most of the time, they couldn't put their names on anything because anything yep. with a Republican name on it wasn't going to get passed. So, he, so he learned mm-hmm. about, you know, giving other people the chance to take the credit. Who cares as long as it's a good idea? Now, you're going to be, what I love about what you've done is you're going to be so free in this next session because nobody's going to be asking you every day, what are your goals in this final session you're going to have? Mm -hmm. Well, I know you know this too, because I'm so thankful that you come to the Capitol every year. You, you end up doing your show from the Capitol and I've been invited in, you know, a few times to do that with you. And I'm so thankful for that. And I love the folks that do kind of bring the Capitol to the people because it is just a fantastic environment. And, um, but one of the things that people know about me is, so I, I've never been a fence rider. You ask me a question, I will tell you yes or no. Um, you can change my mind if you come with really good facts. Real, I do prefer facts over emotion, but <laughs> you can change my mind if you can teach me and tell me why I am wrong and why you are right. It is, that is what this is all about. Um, but I will say that, um, so I don't, I've never been one, and and my friends, my colleagues will tell you this, I do not hold my tongue. You will never come up to me um, if there's a vote coming up and if it's someone in the hallway that's advocating for an issue and they tell me their whole side by the time they take a step away, sometimes before they even finish talking, I I will tell them honestly, I am a no. You will not convince me otherwise, but I will tell you why I am a no. Like, I will have... I will, so I, I don't lie to people, and I'm pretty out, but I can't wait to be just a little more free. <laughs> um, I just need a little more freedom because I will say I do try to have some sensitivity um, uh, on, you know, on some issues. You need more than 30 seconds to make your point to show that you're not insensitive. But if I only have 30 seconds, I have to decide just don't even go there. Just don't go there. You only got 30 seconds and, and you're going to look insensitive to the issue. When the truth is, if you give me some time, we could have a long conversation and I could probably draw you into an understanding as to where I am. Um, and really where the conservative party is, I think that happens a lot with conservatives. They're, the the headlines that are coming out of what would be considered the left-leaning side are inaccurate. You know, uh, the, our conversation on the heartbeat bill was different than the media portrayed it completely. Um, our conversations on the LGBTQ community is completely different than the way the left portrays it. Um, school choice, completely different. You know, so we just need a little bit more time to be able to express where we stand on these issues. Um, well, Jody, but, Mott, 
I look forward to having you come on this program a lot, even after you're out of office. We got to get you over to Gainesville. You would be great to have here in the studio with me. And Jeff in Oconee County said, Jody Lott is awesome. I hate we're losing her in 2024, but we're not losing you, are you? You're still going to be around. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Everyone can have my number. Call me and I will come on your show and I will, um, I hope to continue to advocate, I mean, for, you know, some of these things that have been my passion and my love. I will be there. Um, and, you know, I'm looking forward to be able to cause a little bit more of a stir, stir from the other side. <laughs> That's right. Um, Amen to that. Amen yeah, to that. Yeah. Jody Lott, thank you so much for being with us today. And good luck to you. And we'll talk again very soon. Thanks so much, both of you. Rod, Martha, thank you for what you do. We appreciate it. To hear the full versions of last week's Martha Zoller shows, go to the podcast page at accesswdun.com. And you can follow me on social media at Martha Zoller.